0: How are you guys doing? I'm doing good. How are good. doing good. Good, good. Welcome. Did you guys get to watch all the videos? We did, yes. Okay. Yeah, all yeah, of them. All of them, even the, the angel ones. I didn't realize that those had mm-hmm. they had a warning on it, 16 and over. Yeah. It's yeah. Dangerous.
1: <laughs> What's the nerve? Yeah, well, I had I, to hesitate yeah, pushing my, the button. You know. My
0: students my <laughs> students had to watch them too, and they said they were some of them said they were a little scary. I didn't see that. In a way, see. they weren't expecting Bible content to be scary. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I figured we would just take up where we left off. Um, yeah, do you, what did you guys learn in those videos that you didn't know? You could just deconstruct those for a minute, a hot minute.
1: Well, one idea that was new for me it was
0: Eden was kind of... The, the in-between? Diagram. A little bit... Yeah, a little bit yeah. yeah. Yeah, because... Um, What's interesting is that it's on a mountain because, right, three rivers go out from the Eden. It says so clearly. It's at a, high, a heightened elevation. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there are other mountains. Can you guys name other mountains in the Bible where there this same thing happens, where heaven meets earth? Other instances where Ararat. Ararat. Ararat yeah, Sinai, Sinai, yep. Transfiguration was that. Yeah, the trans- transfiguration was on a mountain. but I don't. Did they I don't say know say what mountain one? it was? I don't know if they say what specific.
1: I think they just mentioned it was in a town.
0: Yeah, the, <laughs> in, uh, yeah. Zion, Moriah, or Moria. No, yeah, yeah. The Moria is actually that's <coughs> from Lord of the Rings. So Mount Moriah. <laughs> so and uh, yeah, and I, one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 124, says uh, hello. Come I think it says. Well, let me see here, Psalm
1: 124.
0: Uh, he says, "I lift up my oh yeah." Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So when it says uh, up to the hills, um, it's actually a euphemism for the covenantal hills that are mentioned in the Old Testament. So where where does our help come from? It comes from the mountain. Um, Because mountains are where we meet God. Um, And, I mean, if you think the mountain of olives where Jesus delivers the Olivet Discourse, his more controversial sermons. So these are all hills, and so these are all places where heaven and earth meet. And if you think about um, human beings, okay, human beings have their heads in the heavens and their feet on the ground, so man is a kind of mountain uh, or tree. (laughs) There's different different ways of describing it. And so when you start to think about this kind of... um, Typology or cosmology. There's a lot of symbolism in the Bible that suddenly comes alive. I think the way that the tabernacle is, is decorated to look like a garden, it's supposed to look like Eden. Same thing with the Temple of Solomon, it's supposed to look like a garden. Um, and in fact, uh, the candelabras in, in, inside the, the temple look like a tree. The, the man looks like a tree if he actually sewn onto his clothes. So, all of these things are about this this idea. So, what else did you guys learn from these videos? Did you get to watch the angel videos? I read the chapters about it. You read the, the chapters? Okay, good. We're just talking about, we're carrying on from where we were last week.
1: Yeah. I thought it was interesting the way they kind of put the hierarchy in contents with yeah. respect to how there's this consuls and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I had never
0: heard that before. Yeah, and he actually, you know, he, he would, in those videos, they were more specific. Um, because I would have said that all of those beings together are just spiritual beings. I would have normally referred to them as angels, but they seem to make an even greater uh, right. to differentiate between them more. So what what were some of them? You yeah, have the Elohim.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Seraphim. Cherubim. 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 That was really well done. It's a nice, sweet little baby angel. Yeah, a little baby you angel, know? right? Yeah, because we get our idea from Raphael, uh, the artist. they all like these fat babies. They look like Cupid paintings is what they look like. So Cupid. And they're floating around in yeah. their Yeah, they're adorable. They yeah. have little hearts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And that actually is stolen right from Greek mythology because... Um, uh, uh what did I just say? His name is Cupid. Cupid is supposed is a fat little baby who with wings. And so what they did in the when 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 they started painting at the, at, at the end of the Middle Ages, into the Renaissance is all this humanism. It was supposed they made all these fierce angels look like little fat uh, Greek gods. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, um, so then what you, It's interesting because if you have the garden, who is placed outside the garden? after man falls to guard it. Well, there's an angel, right? Mm-hmm. Now, but he was more specific. What kind of angel is it? What oh, is that? Right, what in, right in the front here. row. Comes right into the front row. <clears throat> <clears throat> 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 a bigger, closer seat is there. Nice. nice. So, yeah, it says that it's a seraphim, right? Yeah. This angel. So that's why it's called the age of angels, in my opinion. Because the angel being... Put at the guard, is the guard of this uh, in between place, the Garden of Eden. Now, what you have is now they're controlling the earth, they're protecting it. Um, and so, you have good angels and bad angels. On the east side. What's that?
1: He's on the east side. I thought there were one on each side, but
0: there's not. There's just one on the east side. Yeah, and see, that becomes another typological thing in the Bible because uh, if you notice, whenever they're doing something that pleases God, they, um, they go west.
1: Hmm.
0: Hmm. or no what is it okay so he's on the east gate let me think about this for a second so if you have the east gate you have north south this would be east
1: it's
0: actually a joke so it's the east side of the garden
1: of eden cherubim and flaming sword flashing back and forth
0: yeah so if they're at the east gate here going into you're going west in order to, correct oh, okay. yeah. You go east, yeah. yeah get into the East gate yeah so so this actually becomes a metaphor all throughout it's really strange if you just look up the word west um, in, in, in the Old Testament you'll see that all these times there's all these biblical characters who are good ones who are going west they're headed back towards the gate uh, on the east side so that this is also why Tolkien right the, the, the all the elves go, into the West, they say, and they die, when they leave Middle-earth, they go west. Um, so there's all this typology here, and, and this whole thing is what C.S. Lewis is thinking of when he just says the invasion. Now the invasion, um, people think, is this handy metaphor he's using uh, at the time, because what was going on in London at war nine? War, yeah. So most of us don't realize that they really were in expecting an invasion of Hitler at any moment. And so at the very time that he's giving these talks on the radio, they are literally going around England taking down street signs, burying power lines, doing all this stuff to confuse people um, if they're invaders so that they can't find it. I mean, they literally took down all the street signs in, in the southern half of England so that <laughs> the army would be confused. And so that's the invasion kind of metaphor that a lot of people assume when they read mere Christianity, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about this. He's talking about this whole thing. Now, how many of you guys have heard of the great chain of Being? The great chain of being. What is the great chain of being? That's the idea that all beings are in a a vertical hierarchy, construction in a hierarchy, and there's like tension between each chain, but there's like supposed to be an order to follow creation. Okay, nice. And this idea, um, in one sense, where they get it from the ladder of life, comes from Aristotle, but of course medievalists, they're not going to be satisfied with some pagan Aristotle telling them the structure of the universe. So they Christianized it, so at at the top you have God, okay, then you have angels, then you have man, but you don't have necessarily man right out of the gate. It's an woman. you have kings, yeah. and of course bishops, which are kings. Um, and then what you have is common man, okay? Then you have animals, plants, and this great chain of being, this is one of those things that historians have They actually did paint it and and this is something they they, they used to use because everyone has a place in this ladder of life okay there's a hierarchy to life so if you're born here how hard was it in say 850 to go here no everybody's got to stay in their sphere Well, it was was split up even more, right? Because it was like kings and there's like... Yeah, this is broken into several groups. This is broken into several groups, yeah, layers. Because a banker is not the same thing as a farmer, right? If you're (laughs) college educated, or if you're educated at all, you're not the same as a a day laborer. But this um, is how they understood society, but it's also how they understood the heavens. Um, There's seven heavens, right? And this is what they were talking about in the videos. There's this hierarchy even to the spiritual beings um, God being at the top and then you have the council the Elohim um, the, the cherubim and seraphim and then angels and then demons and then okay now you get to man now and this is part of the, what's really interesting is because is an angel this is what I was talking about last week that was maybe not as clear an angel can go into heaven and he can go on earth now is that greater than what a man can do
1: mm-hmm.
0: yes. now, now it is but, but are angels made in the image of God no No. so man is great this is what I was saying last week I get a reprieve because Laura's not here so who's greater (laughs) right who's greater angels or men men well men are in one sense right we're put in charge so we are placed higher than the angels And, and we're made in the image of God they're not they're spiritual beings like he is but they're not made in his image and so they can do things that we cannot do, but we are put in place of them. And this is actually the number one theory as to why Satan fell. He did not like that those mudbloods were put in charge over, uh, uh, over him. He, he's not going to answer to some man who walks, on, walks around and can't even, right? can't even fly. Mm-hmm. What kind of nonsense is that? Now, originally, originally God would meet man in the garden. So there wasn't this difference between who could go before the face of God and who couldn't. Man and angels were equal in the start.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But you, if you see the glory of a man and the glory of angels, what appears greater? Well, Angels. Okay? And, and so that, that is, again, why a lot of people claim that Satan was unhappy. <laughs> but there's a lot in life. Um, so this, this hierarchical structure is very, very foreign to us. Because what do we what what is it that plagues modern man, especially Western man? Not this, right? We don't think of it this way. If I told people, like I, I um, know your place, like what does that sound like if I tell someone, you know, you should know your place? It
1: sounds
0: classic. right? It sounds classic. Nobody goes for that. Yeah, and, and one of my favorite things to do as a pastor, I love this, is when I hear laymen talking about other pastors. I say, remember your place, and that always goes over really well. <laughs> because, because even even if you're a pastor, right? If, say because this is especially this is the Reformation, right? We're all Luther. Well, Luther was a, a doctor and a priest, <laughs> and, and he was somebody who, in the hierarchical structure of the Roman, of the church at the time. So, but Ref, uh, modern Christians always think we're going to be Luther and Calvin, not understanding that there was actually this hierarchy. And Luther himself was like, well, I don't want just common man talking about the pope any old way he wants. He's not allowed to do that. And, and people, there was this revolt when Luther wrote what he wrote because common man wanted to apply these things to himself. And Luther even struggled. And he actually helped the government put down a common revolt because he wanted, what they were not doing during the Reformation was throwing off this hierarchical structure. So this hierarchical structure um, you know, how would it be helpful if you lived in a society like this? If you lived in the Middle Ages, what, there was a great deal of stability, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up in, in, in the same neighborhood that my parents grew up, and their grandparents, and their grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. There's hardly a change for hundreds of years. So there's right my kids. uh, I'm a I'm a shoemaker. They're going to be shoemakers. They grow up knowing where they're going to be. Now we write all kinds of romantic stories about the poor kid who really wants to be a poet instead of a shoemaker. And right, this is what modern tales are made of. It's like a Disney movie right there in the making. Um, Now, undoing this structure, I think, is part of the problem with modern man. We right anyone can do anything. Right? We tell our kids you can be anything. Well, that's actually not true though, is it? Can you be anything? No. Now, we live in a society where it's easy. social mobility, you can go from here to here, well, you can't go any higher, but you know what I'm saying. You can go higher inside this structure here, you can even go here to here. You really can. Social mobility is a great thing. Okay. You have to have uh, the idea of a meritocracy where people can get to a higher level. But I think part of the modern man's brokenness is the fact that we no longer have a structure like this. People do not know where they fit. Now, one of the things I'm constantly counseling young men in is the fact that they don't know their place in society, right? The common 20-year-old kid does not know where he belongs in the world. And so how many young men do you guys know who are like, well, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. I'm not really sure where I'm going to live. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed you know, what I'm supposed, what's my role and position in the church. Like, this whole thing is, is, um, has a lot more to do with what's wrong with us than we realize. And what I like about reading somebody like C.S. Lewis is he talks a great deal about it. He talks, this medieval idea should enter into our minds more often than it does. Um, Now, does that necessarily mean we're all going to go back to being? (laughs) Okay, well, now you're going to be stuck as a shoemaker and you can never leave. That's not necessarily what I'm arguing with. (laughs) But it would be helpful on some. Okay, so what else did you guys learn about the angels? What's that?
1: They do not have
0: wings. They do not have wings. That is correct. Wings? No. Man, <laughs> what else don't they have? The cherubim and seraphim, do some of them have wings? Yes, but not all of them. Some of them have six, uh, like six wings. Yeah, two that cover their mouth, two that cover their, what is it, feet? Can two that they fly with? Yeah. But Gabriel shows up. And Gabriel does not necessarily have wings. Um, and this is partially what is really confusing when you get to things like Abraham before he goes uh, and rescues Lot. Remember when these three men come and visit Abraham and he's discussing with them? Well, it's three angels. But we don't recognize them as angels because they're not described like a Raphael painting. Um, and the, the, um, these moments in the Old Testament, I think we don't always understand them. So if you turn to Judges, Judges chapter one. There's this other character. Okay. So chapter one, verse one of Judges. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first? No, this isn't it. Okay, chapter 2, I'm sorry. Verse 1. Who wants to read that for us? Chapter 2, verse 1 of Judges. I'll read it. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Here we go. Go for it. Okay. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Mochem and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land that I swore to give your forefathers. Okay, here, we'll stop right there. Okay. Who, who led Israel out? I the well, I thought God did. Well, <laughs> Sometimes it's one and the same according to those videos. Yeah, yeah. so the angel of the Lord. Right. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord. There is this mysterious character who goes around in the Old Testament talking as if he's God. And he has quite a speech here. And he, he lays claim to things that only God could lay claim to. And we find out this is the same part of, uh, being who's in the burning bush. This is the same being who led them um, as a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. And Paul tells us who that was. And who is this person? Jesus. Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so this is, these are theophanies. Have you guys ever heard that word? Mm-hmm. So these are pre-incarnate uh, appearances of the Lord Jesus. Mm-hmm. So in the age of angels, he appears as an angel. In the age of men, he appears as a man. And I think it's really important to understand that he was extremely active the whole time. Mm -hmm. Equally active in both stories. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us, um, or I was always raised, I I never, I just assumed literally Jesus is like off stage waiting for his cue line. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) And when I started to think about, well, what was he doing all that time? Uh, Well, then you go and you find out, well, he was quite busy, actually. Uh, and he was present. And some people go on from this to say that the Archangel Michael is actually the Lord Jesus. They're one and the same. Now, I don't, I'm not going to go down that road. <laughs> I don't believe that that's true. I think they are distinct. But I think the, the angel of the Lord is Jesus. And he does some very interesting things. He appears in the burning bush. He comes as a pillar of fire and smoke. He comes later in Kings and slaughters 185,000 people. So the angel of death is actually Jesus. A lot, uh, very often in the Old Testament. And that messes with us. Yeah, (laughs) That more than messes with us. Um, And I think thinking through these things causes us to have to deal with a lot of content in the Bible that we just don't understand, that we don't like. Why would the Lord Jesus come and slaughter 185,000 people? Just. And how do you reconcile that with the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> okay, so we're not going <laughs> to answer that question now. <laughs> rhetorical question, you go away with that one, be <laughs> Okay, so what else did you guys learn about the angels? They don't have wings. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to, we're going to pull everything we can out of this. Was this in the videos? Yeah, these were the angel videos. Oh, uh, I did? Okay. Yeah, we, we, what's that they're messengers of God right and that's what um, there you go thank you yes angels now what's really interesting is in the New Testament Greek the word messenger and the word angel this actually is very confusing sometimes because sometimes they say a messenger came to Paul or Paul right and, and, and they, they use this word messenger and sometimes you're reading along the ESV and it says messenger but you realize that in Greek the word is angel. Well, an angel and a messenger. Two. It, two very different things, or maybe the same thing, and who is referred to as an angel and who's not is actually very mysterious in itself. And we don't even generally know that this mystery exists because we have no idea that the word angel and messenger are the same in Greek. Um, but if you, if you go down that rabbit hole, in the book of Revelation they'll say the angel of the church such and such and that's and, that's, uh, and, and this is there are to, that is an example where I don't think that it should say angel it should say messenger and then there are other times where it says messenger but I, I'm like well I don't know it seems like maybe this is because <laughs> Paul says that you sometimes um, or Jesus says that you sometimes entertain angels unawares what does that mean? Right? And well and if they and, and if they look more like men sometimes than they do winged animals that terrify you, this actually makes sense. It's quite possible you've entertained angels unawares. Um, I don't need any, I don't know necessarily of any of us quite rise to that level, but who knows. Right? We're very egalitarian. Me and Paul are the same, so of course I've entertained angels. <laughs> okay, what else did you guys learn? before we talk about C.S. Lewis's trilemma, his famous trilemma. Anything
1: else?
0: No? So one of the, one of the last things is, um, okay, so if you have a body, say you have Jupiter, okay, um, and this is the planet Jupiter, this is a body. Now, if you think about it this way, this is a body, like, I have a body. But is, is my body all there is when it comes to me? What else is there? So, there's a, a spirit, right? So the spirit of the planets are the angels. Now, I'm not saying that's necessarily true, but this is how they understood it. So, the way that, so in one way, the medievals reconciled this idea of the hosts of heaven being at one time angels. Sometimes they say the host of heaven, and they mean angels. Sometimes they say the host of heaven and they mean the stars. Well, the medievals were like, well, how do we figure this out? And they they said, well, you know, I have a body and a spirit. And my body and my spirit are not the same thing, but they're inner, right? They exist here at the same place in my being. And so the the planets, hello, Justin. (laughs) Welcome. The planets, then, are the, the physical bodies that you see. And the spirit of those physical bodies are, in fact, the angels. That's how you make sense of it. Now, C.S. Lewis went out of his way to say, listen, this, I'm just using this as an, as an example of, of a possibility. <laughs> like, and people think that C.S. Lewis believed this. I don't think he actually believed this. He just was good at explaining things that the Medievals understood. I think you run into problems with this idea, but it does actually, um, it reconciles a whole bunch of verses if you think about it this way. So, so in his Space Trilogy, or I'm sorry, Ransom Trilogy, this is why when they go to the planet Uh, Mars, they actually meet Mars, the spiritual being, and and he's the angel of his planet. So in C.S. Lewis's books, Satan is the angel of this planet, and he's fallen, therefore the planet is fallen. So that's why it's enemy-occupied territory that Jesus has to invade, and he invades it through the Incarnation. The age of angels failed. Angels were not uh, able to wrest the world back from the fallen angels. And so he had to send uh, Jesus. So if we go to Hebrews... So are you saying the angels and the other planets have fallen? Yeah, so there are some planets um, that have and some planets that have not. So like if if we send people to Mars, uh, as Mars... uh, well, I don't, I, I, I don't know, but I wonder what C.S. Lewis would say. Not until we get there. Not until we get there. <laughs> well, and I mean, you know, I, I actually do not... I just want to be clear as well. I don't believe that this is true. I understand that this is how they understood it. I think given what we know now, the host of heaven, like, it's a big place. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think it necessarily aligns this one on top of the other. But But it's really difficult to understand this phrase host of heaven right and, and so you know I even heard somebody say once that the black holes that you see in the <laughs> right like um, these negative gravitational poles that, where there's something there but you can't see it that people say oh well see those are fallen angels and I'm like well okay <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, wow the dark matter the dark, <laughs> the dark matter yeah exactly <laughs> It's a portal to another world. Okay, so we're going to go to Hebrews 2. So I want to give you guys just enough information so that when you talk about this, you don't sound like a total nut. I mean, you'll sound like a nut anyway, but I want you to sound a a little bit, yeah, not like a total nut. Uh, Okay, so we're going to go to chapter 2, verse 5. Who would like to read that for us? Chapter 2, verse 5. Okay, I'll read it. Okay, do it. Now, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. Keep going. Okay. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of
1: man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his
0: feet. Okay, so... When he says, you have made him, for a little while, lower than the angels, what does that mean, given everything that you guys have learned thus far? He became a man. He became a man, okay? So, in one sense, you have, right, you have the heavens, this is the throne of God, and you have angels here, and down here is the realm of man. So he sends him lower than the angels by making him a man. Okay? But who's in charge of the earth? angels right? Yeah, well, spiritual yeah. beings mm-hmm. and so for a time you send Jesus under the angels in order to wrest the earth back from the fallen angels Okay, mm-hmm. and this is what I always say Jesus offers the, the kingdoms of the earth to Jesus he says hey you don't have to go mm-hmm. through all that dying on the cross thing. I'll just give them to you mm-hmm. now if he didn't own them Jesus would have simply said, what, "What do you? You can't give me something that doesn't belong to you." Yeah. Jesus actually acts like he really owns them because at the time he does own them. So, and all through the Gospels, when he talks about like binding the strong man and plundering his house, this is what we're talking about. He came lower than the angels to succeed where the angels had failed, and to restore man because we don't just go back um, to Eden, right? If you have the mountain here in Eden is this in-between in point, we go beyond that back to the very go back to our original position in Christ, we are now higher than the angels, and this is why Paul says we can judge them, before we couldn't right, and now, the, now they assist us, this is where the idea of like guardian angels comes from because uh, the Messiah, it says of him that the, the angels will guard him from even stepping his toe. Well, now we're in him. And so they, the angels are back doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is serving man in its purpose to, to, to achieve godlikeness. Does this make sense? Angels are back in their proper position in, in this hierarchical structure of heaven. Okay, any questions about that or any other interesting things? Sorry, I did a lot of talking. Mysteries within mysteries. Okay, so moving on to C.S. Lewis's argument where we, we left off last week at the end of this chapter, what is the big trilemma that he gives? What does he say about Jesus at the end of the chapter 3 of book 2? Jesus is either, he's one of a three lunatic, things. A lunatic. A lunatic. A liar. Okay. liar or what or the Lord (laughs) or the Lord here we'll use L's see the photos. come on man you're a poet you could have used L's so um now people don't like some people argue that these aren't the only options now are there other options Jesus is either a lunatic he's a liar or he's the Lord says he could be the devil says yeah
1: which would be a liar
0: which would be kind of connected yeah Exactly. Now what what if he's just schizophrenic? What if he's a really good guy who loves goodness but he's it's really the same just, as a poached egg. <laughs> as, oh, yeah. Right? Jesus didn't say he was a poached egg, but is somebody who says they're a poached egg the same as a guy who hears voices? No. Jesus accepted worship and that's not a nice thing to do if you're not God. Right. He, right. And, and, and so that he he and, and what's interesting is the angels won't let people do that. The angels say, no, stop worshiping me. Paul says, stop worshiping me, when people try to do it. But Jesus never had a problem with that. There's several times where the apostles, or the disciples, actually worship him, and he's just, okay, cool, good. We're getting this (laughs)
1: relationship right.
0: (laughs) But let's go back for a second. Is a a, a man who says he's a poached egg, um, is that what we mean when we say that a person is is crazy now? Can you have a perfectly good guy who actually has a mental illness? And, and I think this is where, C.S., in C.S. Lewis's day, I think their understanding of these things was different than ours. Because we never... How often do you think... right? How often do we think that it's a spiritual cause, a man who is schizophrenic? Not
1: these
0: days. Not these days. What do we always think it is?
1: Chemical imbalance.
0: Chemical imbalances. Just right? He's got his wires crossed. Genes. Yeah. Um, yeah, trauma, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who have experienced trauma, and therefore... They have PTSD and other mental illnesses, but that—but would C.S. Lewis have understood it that way? No. no. Now, is he wrong? Are we wrong? No. Um, the people who uh, are walking around possessed by demons in, in Jesus's day—do they look like what we would call schizophrenics? Yeah, probably. Now, is it? So here's my question: I can't make up my mind about this because I'm a modern person. It's hard to. Yeah, just put this out of my mind Is it physical? Is it spiritual? Yes. Is it some combination of both? Yes,
1: yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: Is It one, It doesn't have to be one or the other I think they put
1: way too much emphasis on one side of it
0: Yes, right and I think that's the mistake people make is that it's one or the other mm-hmm. Now can someone actually um, experience trauma that's so terrible they, cre- it, they create a separate person within themselves mm-hmm. and they then become that person to avoid dealing with the trauma of their life yes. Well if you read, this is actually what people do it's very um, so. Then they go by a different name. Um, uh, this happens with child bu- abuse uh, victims. Um, they they have these split personalities, and it's this defense mechanism from dealing with the reality, the sin that, that is in their life. Um, and I so I think that this is an extremely helpful tool, this trilemma. But I but I think it causes us to have to deal with some things in our own uh, our own modern context. Because we tend to not think that there's any spiritual dilemma to it. So then what we do when we start figuring this out is we rebel and we think it's only spiritual. Yeah. Um, but can you actually... Um, like, could you uh, be have um, metal poisoning?
1: Yeah. Can you
0: actually have something happen right. where you have metal poisoning and it causes you to not function properly? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. <laughs> Both mentally and physically, right? Yeah. Now, okay, so... So now we cast out the metal, right? And and when you cast out the metal, are you casting out Satan? Like, I I, I think when you get into these categories, you have to just be more careful than some modern versions are. Um, Now, what what is the thing that Jesus did? um, What was it that Jesus went around claiming about himself that C.S. Lewis says is so scandalous? Because it's it's not necessarily, in C.S. Lewis's opinion, that Jesus said he was the son of God. He, it's that Jesus would forgive people's sins. Now, that isn't... Uh, I'm a little bit puzzled by that. Because I do think that the most uh, outlandish thing he said was that he put himself on the equal footing with God. Because a lot at first, when Jesus starts to say things about how he's the son of man and how he's, he's the son of God, he starts in the early bits of the Gospels. Nobody really is reacting to what he's saying. Because I don't think it's that uncommon for people in his world to call themselves son of God. It, it's when he starts to, to, to have this equality statement um, as if they are the same person that is when people start to have a problem with him. Especially once he starts doing miracles. They, they understand that his claim means something other than what they originally thought. And there's almost this progression to the anger about him calling himself the Son of God. Now, does that seem like a bigger deal than him um, forgiving sins. Because C.S. Lewis says it's all about um, that. He argues that it's one and the same because by forgiving sins, he, you is, are playing sins. he is playing He is playing okay. Yeah. Right. So I think he made a good yeah. g- argument before when he said it's not that he forgives people who have hurt him. He's forgiving people who have hurt someone else. Yes, yes. Like,
1: well, wait, I admit him.
0: Yeah. So if Justin yeah. stomps on my foot with his cowboy boots, right. I can forgive him. Everyone's fine. But if right. he stomps on your foot, and, and I forgive him on your behalf. <laughs> yeah. like, Socially, that would be a little awkward, don't yep. you think? Yep. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Mm-hmm. And room. even to the point where it's as if the sin was only against you. Yes, mm-hmm. as if the, the you, the offend, right, the victim against of the sin, only are except. like hey, it's me that they've offended, mm-hmm. and I and I think that um, you have to keep the ideas I think very close. Um, because in the end, him saying that he was, in fact, God is when they tear their clothes and and and, and turn them over to Romans. But, but there is this very slow realization of what it is that Jesus is saying. Uh, I mean, it's very slow for the disciples. It's very slow even for his enemies. At first, they don't like him generally because he's popular. Uh, they don't like him because he's saying things that he shouldn't say about the law of Moses. It's not until later on in the Gospels when he comes to Jerusalem final week of his life, where they really start to realize what it is all of this means. And once they do, that's when they get everybody gets set off. Um, okay, so have you guys, um, how could this be used effectively now in apologetics in your world? Like, how do you get somebody to make, how do you work somebody into the, into, into this decision about, well, he's either a lunatic, a liar, or the lord? Does, does this well, seem something that will come up? There is another option though, which is the most popular option, mm-hmm. that makes the least amount of sense. Yeah. Which is that he was just like a great teacher. Yeah, a yeah, great a moral teacher, lot, teacher, right? A lot of Well, that, that's how you argue against yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. You can make that claim. Now, it, does it seem, does it seem, from what you, the way you've read this, listen to what C.S. Lewis has said, that it's almost as if what he, he, it's okay on one level if you say that he is a liar or a lunatic. What what actually bothers C.S. Lewis more is when you just don't even when you just ignore it and say it doesn't matter. He said you can't do that. You yeah. can't act like he's just a great moral teacher. Uh-huh. That you have to actually deal with what he's saying. Right. And and what he I like you're not a good moral teacher if you're a liar. Yeah, or a, or a lunatic. And what he wants is he wants people to deal with it. And and this is what I find is very different than modern um, evidentialist. Uh, Apolog- apologists. Is, is, let, let's get to brass tacks. Who is Jesus? And and what I like to do um, from because of this is get to that question as quickly as I can. Um, and it's amazing how many people it, it really is the thing that we're talking about. Like we can talk about um, you can talk about it like C.S. Lewis has up to this point and he hasn't really used religious arguments until now. But it, you have to get here as quickly as you can. Who is Jesus Christ? I right. mean, and we, we use this a lot in college we read, you know, Joshua Donald's, one of the carpenters he talks about that but to see us with his argument but, but yeah, I mean obviously you have to, if a person like, just doesn't believe Jesus existed at all mm-hmm. you, to, you gotta get them their get person, there here, here's the evidence that he did exist and or if they believe yeah, he existed but the Bible's all wrong about it. Right. That's another but if yeah, if they're at a point where like, okay, I, I, you know, I think there's good evidence that he existed in a lot of what the Bible says about it is true, then mm-hmm. then they, 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 they have to deal with those statements and, they, they, and that's you, you Right. And and through. because we're not selling sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, they can't say, Well, I believe all that, but that yeah, you just a great teacher, then yeah, that's an untenable position. It's yeah, yeah, you you can't keep going. Right, right. And what I think, what what, what we tend to do is sell a way of life. We sell a community. What 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 we're generally presenting to people is a lot of stuff that isn't Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, yeah, you shouldn't. You know, um, you should reform your life and not be a loser, right? And and, I mean, so much of what Christian ministry is now is is telling men to man up and be men. Um, But it's like, well, I mean, okay, I don't disagree with that on one level but at some point we've got to talk about who Jesus Christ is because if you don't have him it doesn't matter how much moral reform you have in your life you're still going to burn in hell
1: yeah.
0: and, and what I find is that we tend to leave this part out right you know you really ought to go to church uh, you, you ought to come and, and join this, this we're very loving we're very gracious and, and a lot of I think what we're trying to sell is, is this through relationship evangelism uh, is a lot of stuff that isn't Jesus And and, I mean, in my own life, this is how it worked. I was convicted, uh, like Mark Driscoll described a loser on on stage in his sermon, and the person that he was talking about was me. And so, like, it it was months, maybe eight months I went there, and I was just working on my life. And I was like, yeah, as long as this guy is really, right, things starting to go well. I got a good job. I moved out of my parents' basement. I got a car. You know, I had the age of 23. Finally, I'm turning my life around. But he wouldn't ever shut up about this guy, Jesus. And, and, and he was very good about that. He, a, a lot of what he was doing originally seems like he was just red-pilling a bunch of young men to get them to be men. But he never let go of this, this central idea. You've got to deal with who Jesus is. And I think we just have to be very, very careful um, in the, these modern times where we're told all of this stuff about servant leadership and uh, relationship evangelism, that, that we're making it about um, all, you know the, the way... Uh, and not the truth, if that makes any sense. Okay, because you can have the way without the truth. It's actually easy. Lots. I mean, lots. How many? You guys know young men who were wild when they were younger, but then they get married and they settle down and they become good guys, essentially working, hardworking dudes. Yeah, lo- lots of people. Um, and it's and when even when I was in criminology in Uni- Washington State University, um, there were all these papers that were being written at the time where it's like get men married, get these guys out of the. Gangster young men with ga- who are gangsters who are criminals. Why is she like pretty independent? Can I just
1: take her? No. Okay. <laughs> She's or is she kidding? No. She's okay. not kidding.
0: Me. Okay. <laughs> but I can do it. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, how easy is it? You never know. I'm like, you Um. Uh, yeah. See, uh, w- one of the things in criminology was if you get guys married and get responsibility, uh, then they will stop going to prison. and and it's actually really true the number of men who if they get some responsibility in their life suddenly start doing what they're supposed to and and, and it's really interesting how even in criminology where they don't talk about the bible or gospel or truth or anything this is the same idea and when you go into churches I hear a lot of that kind of talk as if that's going to be the thing that makes the difference in society Uh, and it can make a difference in society but that's making a difference in society is not what we're told to do Right, that's not what we're commanded to go out and teach the nations. Okay. Um, Okay, so chapter four is is shorter, Um, and I only have five questions about it, but we're running quickly running out of time here. Uh, So, what does Christ's death ultimately accomplish? What does it ultimately accomplish? According to C.S. Lewis. So this is where he's talking about those, mm-hmm. the different theories. But the just, different theories right. of what of, of how it works. But you don't need yeah. to accept a particular one, you just need to know believe that it did work. And, yeah. yeah, now, so what is it ultimately that occurs? Salvation? Right? Right. right? I mean um, Jesus died, but we get saved. Right. Right. Yeah, so salvation. He somehow has put us right with God. Um now, how? And, and and I mean, this is an important question. Does it matter that people understand how? According to him, no. No, right? And and, and if you stop and think about how many things actually work this way, like um, because we are sometimes, especially in your circles, a little scandalized when people say things like, "Oh, I don't really understand how the Trinity works." Hmm. And, and I'm like, "That's you know, okay. Well, I can give you a book, and we can look at some verses. But ultimately, the purpose isn't for you to understand this perfectly." Um, you can understand, we can always understand things better but understanding things better is not the same thing as understanding things the way God understands them and, and again, I, I, this is a good opportunity for us to learn some of the mistakes that we make sometimes we get hung up on the oh my gosh, you don't know how salvation works you don't know how propitiation works and that <laughs> propitiation is different than uh, justification like, come on, what's wrong with you and you're like <laughs> right? And, and we make it about that now, does it ultimately matter if you understand that? No, that's not, right? Um, that's not the thing that gets you into heaven. Jesus is. I, I agree with that. I think it can, you know, but, you know, for some people it can be helpful to yeah. understand to at least, I don't know some of the theories of how it works more than that. <coughs> okay, now I can see how it,
1: it could, you know, how, if you, yeah, you know, I'm. I don't know if I really believe it because I like, I can't understand how it you know I can't connect the dots I can't see how it works mm-hmm. or how it could work but if you you know it could be helpful maybe for more yeah but, yeah it's interesting you know the I don't know if it, it with the sketch guy you know who's doing
0: he had, drew a lot of different they call them different theories but they're all just a lot of examples from the Old Testament I think they're more like types types of how it you know of, right not no not, not one that one is right and the others are wrong but they're all just different ways of so showing how the same thing right? how. Right, right. Yeah, because since the Reformation, the primary way of explaining justification is a courtroom. And I think it's very helpful. Right. But in the Old Testament, justification, they use the word, the Hebrew word, is used to defeat an enemy on a battlefield. Well, that's very different than a courtroom to me. Um, and, and, and also, you know, I've said this before uh, I worked in a courtroom. Nobody wants to go home with a judge and have dinner with him when you're done. Yeah. Right? And, and the difference here is that the judge who's judging us actually invites us into his house and eats with us and that's not like what a courtroom's like at all um, and so even justification is the same thing, people say it's, it's X, and you're like well X is one way of explaining it it's an important one, we should not forget it but um, salvation is the same way, what actually occurs right, and, and this is always this is how you root out even pastors so at, at the presbytery level when you have an ordination exam a friend of mine always asked this question. Did God die? What does it mean that God died on the cross? Right? Because there's Jesus. He's on the cross, and he dies. Now, does that mean God the Father and the Holy Spirit died? Right? So this is always, he always asks this question. What does it mean that God died? Did God die? Did the Trinity split? <laughs> See, and, what I, and, what, what, and this question is, this is the way you're <coughs> supposed to answer the question. Um, either I don't know, I'm not sure, or I know that the second person somehow of the Trinity died. And I can't really explain it besides that. What is always, what the, one way to root out the wrong kind of guy from the ministry is a guy who then waxes eloquent for 45 minutes explaining the fact that God died on the cross. Because it's very, very complicated. It's not very clear in Scripture exactly what it means that God died. But he did. Right? It, it happened. But what does that even really mean It's very, very confusing and what C.S. Lewis is doing here is he wants to talk about salvation but he doesn't want to make the different theories that different kinds of Christians have about what occurs the difference maker between whether you're considered a Christian And and I think we should learn from what he's doing not just when it comes to salvation but all kinds of doctrines it's important that you believe what you're told not that you understand what you're told okay when Jesus says I'm the way the truth and life you believe it or you don't do you understand it? Not necessarily. Right? <laughs> Who understands that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Well we all do on some level. But there's limits. And, and we have to recognize the limits of what we're talking about. Because ultimately the purpose isn't to know these things the way God knows them, but to worship and to obey and to put our faith and trust in, in a being who's greater than us. Recognizing that he's greater than us. Okay, does, it, does this make sense? Yep. <laughs> Okay. I don't want to leave anyone no. thinking that <laughs> that's dangerous, Mike. I don't want you guys leaving thinking the wrong, the wrong thing that it doesn't matter or that we shouldn't try to understand them. It's just we we can't put so much on very minute, very complicated doctrines that everybody's got to understand. I, I just think it's the wrong direction. Which go. most of the churches have through the ages. Yeah. So this is all about communion. You got to do it right. Yeah. You know? Right. And if I you mean, don't do it just right. Yeah you're out of here so they're, they're as guilty as ever yeah yeah Doug Wilson t- tells his uh, parable joke about this guy who studies the doctrines of grace his whole life and just knows them front and back right he knows everything about every doctrine of grace just grace is his, his life so then he gets to he dies and goes to heaven and there's saint peter and saint peter gives him a test he says okay here's the test here's the test we've been waiting for you for a long time here's the test and if you pass this test about grace you get to come in (laughs) and the guy sits down and he gets his pencil out and he goes to answer the first question and he stops and he thinks for a few minutes and then he just hands the test back unanswered because that's grace right he almost in the end failed the test of grace which is not to be able to articulate <laughs> how grace <laughs> works in every conceivable fashion.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and, I, and I think it's something that we need to remember, especially now with Christendom so fractured and everything, and this mere Christianity, mm-hmm. mere Christendom it is the thing that we should be building, yeah. and so we need a great deal more grace when it comes to these things. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nate, will you pray for us? Father yeah. well, God, thank you for this class this morning and this discussion Thank um, you for the um, study and uh,
1: CSL is helping us understand uh, various things and us wrestling with them as well and um, trying to understand them for our own. But pray to just truth and light. Pray for the
0: service this morning that you be glorified in all of Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, thanks, guys. Thank you.